Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Our discussion here today over the Torah section as our launching point of Akev, which means can either be translated as consequences or because, covers Deuteronomy 7, verse 12 through 11, 25, and we picked up the parallel passage there in Isaiah 49, 14 through 51, 3, and then hit the overview that over in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 13. I just want to say that this, this whole segment here of this spiritual journey, as Moses is talking to the second generation, um, to me it's a spiritual story of all our lives. When we were in the wilderness, I mean the plans that God had for each and every one of us, before we ever knew he even existed, he was working on our behalf 24-7. Uh, I, when I think of the life that I led previous to coming before the Lord and the things that um, I did and happened to me, I know there's a God. And I know he cares for me. And I, he's just so awesome and so wonderful. Um, what a journey, uh, you know, being in this wilderness that we're in right now. You know, if we just hold fast to him, you know, uh, perilous times are coming. Uh, people say we're in end times and things are bad, but they ain't seen nothing yet. They ain't seen nothing yet. And so we have to hold fast to our faith and our commitment to God. Because you know what? He held fast to his. That's right. He committed to us the joy of his salvation. When I read those scriptures uh, up there a few minutes ago, those, that was Christ. That was Christ who had his beard torn. That was Christ who, who did what he did for us. And he knew what he was going to do from the beginning. And he followed through, and he did it for us, for us. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. And so this whole story is... Um, it has such a deep, profound meaning to me. Uh, I mean, what an honor and a privilege to be associated with the living God. I mean, there's just no other place you'd want to be. I've been down some roads that I don't ever care to go back down. You know, I just want to stay on my path towards the kingdom of God. And I just, I just praise God. Now, some of the big ideas that we have is based basically just what Rose uh, demonstrated here is love equals faithfulness. I mean, people in popular music, they cast around love, love this, love, love, love. No, love means faithfulness. And that when you encounter, we went through our last Torah portion where it talked about love the Lord your God. And what that's talking about is faithfulness because it really relates to what you would say is what the second greatest commandment as well because the second greatest commandment found over there in leviticus 19 18 you know, it says what don't hold a grudge against your neighbor but love your neighbor as yourself why because god loves you so thus you love your neighbor and because you take that further because god is faithful to you then we are faithful to other people around us so some of what you see in israel they think well israel is just this vehicle to get us to the new testament so to speak and then you just, it's kind of like a booster rocket, you know, it lifts off 
from the launch pad and Israel is the first stage and you drop that in the ocean and forget about it. Well, today it lands itself. Thank you, <laughs> modern technology. But it, in, the idea is, is that, well, the, the first stage is just to get you up to a certain altitude. Then the second stage takes over and some are approaching, you would say, the messianic era and the apostles work as the second stage well okay first we dropped and jettisoned the first stage which is israel and now we're we got the real work to do to get the thing up into orbit to get this kingdom of god really established but no what do we see is actually that this is all a part of a whole all a part of a whole because what do you keep seeing throughout the gospels and what do you keep seeing throughout paul's writings well mercy but avraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness you keep seeing that brought up again and again and again and again now one of the things that we can see is not just mercy but also we see from the apostle paul talks about this in Romans 9 through 11, and it's a part that we're going through right now in the Roman study uh, that we're doing. We're currently in chapter 10, but this whole section in Romans 9 through 11 is all about why Israel? Why should anybody who's a follower, follower of Yeshua the Messiah care about Israel? And this is a long lesson that Paul gives in this particular passage of why it matters and here's a section of it where you're kind of reaching up to the big conclusion in romans chapter 11 verses 28 through 32 from the standpoint of the gospel they are enemies for your sake but from the standpoint of god's choice they are beloved for the sake of the fathers and for the gifts and the calling of god are irrevocable for just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of your disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, that they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. So that gets at a part that where we were reading there in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The kind of like the why of all of the tr trials and tribulations that were happening during the wilderness journeys. Uh, yes, Alex. Great river valleys, Sumerians in the north, Egypt in the south, and even my favorite Phoenicians. Ah, the, the only, Phoenicians. The yes. only people who knew how to make a ship at the time. Everybody else was in rafts. They made their own rules up because who's going to challenge them? Everybody else is a small tribe. Well, I think. God got tired of that after a while. And he did. All right, enough. This is 2,000 years of that stuff. Wooden idols and burn this. and might, Maybe we'll try this. Maybe we'll try that. And they just made it all up as they went. Uh, but So this noble experiment called Israel started. Thank you, Moses, Abraham. Um, but it's, it didn't go away. It, it is the calling of the one true God. So it yeah. didn't, well, yeah, that started a bit. Forget it. That's done. We're going to go over to Yeshua now. That, yeah, just not, not plan no, A, plan no, B. It's, it's all one process That's right. that came out of that evolution, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look out. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, it's, it's one of the, the, uh, the, the key differences, you know, when, when you talk about things that are, that are evolving, that is what you would call a mind changing and molding and shaping and growing things things don't do that on their own on by themselves yeah sorry yeah uh, yeah actually yeah but one of the one of the sections that we're taking a look at here today in deuteronomy is where we're going through the first when we saw in our first passage in deuteronomy the section devarim it says, now Moshe started to expound upon the law. And last week, we were taking a look at the beginning of the expounding on the law. So that started there with chapter 6, in which we have the Shema, Hero Israel. And that continues on into 
chapter 7. So the themes that you're seeing in this particular passage that we're in in Akev, uh, now if any of you, I think there's one left that we have an outline. If you didn't get one already, an outline of Deuteronomy, we have got one over there. But this is the eye chart version of it. So cover one eye and read the top line. But uh, one of the aspects that we're looking at is this falls under the aspect of have no other gods before me. So the Shema fits in with have no other gods before me. It is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is nobody in front of him. This is not like the Pantheon and just have one of many. No, this is the only one. So it continues on into the passage that we're at here today. You know, follow the Lord only in chapter 7. Do not forget the Lord, chapter 8, with the whole recounting of the manna and why the manna. Do not boast in your own righteousness, in chapter 9. And fear the Lord, chapter 10. And keep the commands of the Lord, in chapter 11. So that's a big overview of what we're taking a look when it says, love the Lord your God. Love equals faithfulness. Heaven is faithful to Israel So Israel, be faithful to God. And by extension, be faithful to the people around you. And, you know, when it's talking about entering into agreements and relationships and marriages, be careful who you're entering into a relationship with. Because you you get, as Paul puts it, being unequally yoked. And as you see the instruction in the Torah about yoking together animals of different <laughs> pulling capacities you put different horsepower together you're gonna have a have a problem you know it's not it's not like you can just you know take out the transactional and just you know change your differential gears a little bit so you can have the uh, differential pulling power on one wheel or the other no if you you come to get yoke them together with different animals the, you're gonna have a challenge in pulling you're gonna get pulled to the left or to the right. Hmm. They keep hearing that phrase again and again. Yes, out of alignment. So yes, when you're talking about this elaboration on the 10, and we've talked about this in years past, about how what you're seeing, the elaboration on the 10 commandments here, is very similar to what you see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. That is also an elucidation on the 10 commandments and the various other instructions that spill out of the Ten Commandments as an expounding point of it, clarifications on it, expansion upon it, so that we, just as Israel does not live by bread alone, so we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, That takes us to one of the places that we're going to be going today, which is over in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 8, this was a lot of the answer, the big question. Why go through the whole wilderness struggle? Okay, yeah, we know about the spies going into the land. got the bad report from 10 of them. The people voted, you know, 80% that uh, this is, a bad land, not the good land that the Lord said. No, this is the bad land. So they were sent to the badlands to wander about. No, not eastern Montana. Although, yes, uh, they might think eastern Montana might be, uh, there are no trees. What would they do with all the trees? Yes, that, that's what the, what the Native Americans called it, the badlands. Yes. So, when we look at the why, it mentions in there, I made you hungry. I made you hungry. Why is that? To test, to see what was in you. You were given manna and given it on a schedule. You were given it six days and twice on the sixth day, to carry you through back around to the eighth day or the first day to get you back onto the schedule again. 
to say, hey, you are going to be provided for. Can you restrain yourself in the midst of going through the wilderness experience? So one of the things that you see in this is love equals faithfulness. Love equals first love. And that is something that you see in the book of Revelation. Uh, Specifically, you see it in Revelation chapter 2 in the message to the congregation in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So it's great. Look at all the things that they're doing right. Know your deeds, your toil, and your person. So you got, they're doing deeds, doing the right stuff. They're persevering through challenges and such. Cannot tolerate evil men. You, know, you put to the test those who come in, apostles who claim that they're being sent from somebody. It's like, oh, really? So you, you claim you're coming in with a message and you were sent and commissioned to do this. Well, where you really put those words to the test? Where do they line up with the, uh, the king of heaven and earth? How do they line up with that? So they did all that right. But still, there was just, they lost why they were doing it. They, love equals faithfulness. And if you're, they were faithful with certain things, but they were not faithful with the why they were doing this. They were doing a lot of what, but the why. Why are you doing this? Yeah, human nature to do that. And even when you, when you talk about in human relations, when you're talking about a marriage, it can become mechanical after a while. So you have to remember your first love, or as it's put differently in the prophets it's like um remember the wife of your youth so you don't get older and they go oh well let's just trade her out for a new model (laughs) yes this is this is not the marital exchange program you just get like 30 years on uh yes uh jared we got a comment or a question over here so they got uh jared with a comment or a question is that why god gave us a song of songs yes the biblical way to renew a marriage. That's, that's, that's indeed right. And see, that's, that's one of those, those lessons because it's on a lot of levels. You can take that at purely the human level, and then you can also take that at like one of the other prophetic messages like Amos or Hosea. These are messages that have different layers to it. And you, know, you got to feel, feel sorry for these prophets that were just like, okay, um, your, your life is going to become a living parable, you know, and then be, be told, you know, you marry Yahoo, hey, you're not going to take a wife. Oh, man, talk about commitment to, to your message. Yeah. And then others were told, yeah, you have to lay on your side. Yes, you have to uh, cook over um, alternative fuels. Yes. And like, ah. But again, for the message, the message was, yeah, things have gotten so bad that heaven thinks that your <laughs> ways that you're sustaining yourself are post-human product. Yes, post-human product and detestable. And rather than, as it talks about in the Torah, you take your stuff outside of the camp, you take your stuff away from the presence of God. No, you're doing it right in your own home. It's right in your house, right in his face. You're doing this, which we'll get to that in just a moment here. Because when we see this passage that we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see it. Oh, yes, Anne, uh, go ahead, please. Are you sure? Yes, uh, go ahead. I have to go back a bit. All right. Uh, Okay. 
I think it was two, two, I'd say slides ago, but not slides. Okay. What was it on? All right. So I'm, re, I'm rewriting what you had up there. Maybe I'm wrong. The Sermon on the Mount and on the Plain demonstrates where they went wrong with the understanding of Torah. Is that correct or is that incorrect in my understanding of that statement? The Sermon on the Mount and on the Plain demonstrates... Yes, Yeshua's ways of calling out how the interpretation had gone wrong. Okay. Yes, because those key statements, they they, they get a, a, um, you could say, a long-winded name in theology circles. They call them the sixth antitheses, meaning you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And... Um, depending on the interpreter and which which commentary you look at, that is understood to mean by some, okay, well, you've heard what the Torah said, but now I'm going to tell you how you can throw that out the window and give you something totally new. Or you see some variations of that that says, okay, this is what it said. You've misunderstood that, so let me help you understand what was already written. You don't throw it out but you just need to understand that a little bit better. So that was the, you could say, one of the key points of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, was to clarify. Because remember the preamble or the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount is in the beginning part of Matthew chapter 5. You've got the Beatitudes at the beginning of it, you know, the uh, blessed are you or happy are you, happy are you if you are the peacemaker, happy are you, etc. Well, after that, and it talks about light, meaning light to the nations, and after that, it says in verses 17 through 19, you know, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets no i didn't come to abolish them but to fulfill them to plaru to fill those up and not one little stroke of a pen is going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished and anyone who teaches to ignore one of even the least of those little things will be considered least in the kingdom of god and those that will teach them will be considered greatest in the kingdom of god so that is the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. So thus, with that setup, as we say, you should understand all the things that follow, including those six antitheses through that lens, through those glasses. You should be looking at them that way. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So when, you, it's, when he says, you've heard it said, you should go back to that, up to verse 17, and say, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So when you've heard it said, but I tell you is not going to abolish the law and the prophets. Because he told you where he was going with the, the Sermon on the Mount. So that help, Anne? Yes, okay. So when we were talking about this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it, it talks about, you know, you... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that gets quoted in the, we call them the, the temptations of the Mashiach. And you find those in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, where you have these temptations that come through in the wilderness. But it's interesting when you look at them, you can see echoes of what we've been seeing as we went through this Torah portion and Moshe's recounting of the journey and the things that happened, the things at the mountain, what happened with the wanderings, etc. And what you're seeing happening in um, Yeshua's life and his encountering with the adversary. So let's just take a look at some of these here. So Yeshua talks about this in Matthew and Luke both chapter 3, baptized in the Yarden. So goes down into the water, comes up out of the water. And you see that baptized in the sea, Israel was, through the sea and in the cloud. You see that we read about that back in, in Paul's letter to first letter in, to Corinth in chapter 10. They were baptized 
into the sea and baptize into the cloud. So with Yeshua, after coming up out of the water, led by the Spirit, and you know, by Matthew's accounts, the Spirit led to the wilderness, and Luke's talk about through the wilderness. Both are saying the same thing, to the wilderness, through the wilderness. So you're taken to the direction, out of the water, to the wilderness, and being out there. And you see that in Israel, they came up out of the water, and you see the leading of the Spirit of God, because it wasn't all just going to reside and rest upon Moshe. No, you see that there's a, looks like a day of Pentecost experience where the Spirit of God comes down, people are actually prophesying, and the Spirit of God comes down upon the elders of Israel as they were having lunch with Creator of Heaven and Earth. So you get that Spirit leading to where they were going to go. And you see that Yeshua, during this time that he was in the wilderness, was fasting, abstaining from food. I am not going to eat. Well, Israel, they were hungry because we read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. They didn't have food to eat because the one who was leading them into the wilderness was not giving them food to eat, letting them go beyond their reserves. And it's interesting what you see in some of those cases was not just not, not food at all, but not food that they wanted. Because remember those, inter, in, those interchanges there with the quail? We want meat. Give us meat. Well, they had meat, as it describes there in the Torah. It was coming out. Yes, out of their nose. They, had, they was filled them up with meat. And it also became a plague. That meat became a plague. And thus you could see that they were left to go hungry, but also not given things that they thought were the most delectable. But what they were given was delectable of a sort. They talked about it was like wafers covered with oil with honey. So it could have been good. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, you're given asparagus, which I, I think is probably a curse upon the planet. I'm just joking. <laughs> Brussels sprouts, yes, there we go. More, more curses upon, upon the planet. Yes. But you see, in, in Yeshua's life, it talks about that he went out in there into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, what do you see happen with Israel? Israel was to go into the wilderness and wander for 40 years based upon what? Why would, the 40 days. The 40 days when the spies were doing their reconnaissance and they got the 80% downvote. I said, nope, bad, bad land. Not a good land. <laughs> good, good land. That's right. Big, big, uh, big clusters, but also big people in big walls. And we small people. So, yes. So you see, with in Yeshua's life, the temptations, all three of them came. If you are the Son of God, they're prefaced by that. The adversary came out. If you are the Son of God, da -da 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 -da. and with Israel, you see that we saw that at a key aspect, and I hope you caught it as Jared was reading there, because he mentioned one of those key places where this happened in Exodus 17. Masah, Meribah, the key places where the key question was, is God with us or not? Is God with us or not? So you see that temptation that was coming. What was the answer, the obvious answer? They had just gone through the sea. They had just gotten bread out of heaven. The bread that was just showing up six days a week. 
with a double portion on the sixth day. So if that wasn't unusual as it was for it to be showing up every morning, you get twice as much one particular day of the week and then nothing on the seventh day, and they would resume falling on the first day to continue on. Uh, yes, uh, Alex, you have a comment or a question there? Um, you know, a land of milk and a honey, but it had to be a cooperative thing. It, uh, yes. it needed to be worked. I mean, they came from these river valleys were. I'm glad you noticed that. Yes. The, the water just came every year to the river valleys. Yes. But they did go to the wilderness, and that's where the promised land was. It's wilderness. Yes. yes. You were at the mercy of, as it says, the, the, the land is watered from heaven, as we read in this passage. You were, you were at the mercy. Yes, uh, Christine. And also, staying in that theme, it's by our obedience that the rain, that the eternal one, the ancient one, has always had his eye on Israel. But when we are to go over there, it is only by obedience uh, to the mitzvot and all that he's laid out before us that the rain will come. And we spoke about it, I think, last week or the week before, about uh, even in... Revelation, where it speaks about if you don't come up, if the nations don't come up, yes, then the rain Zechariah will stop. 14, right? Zechariah 14, thank you. Yes, indeed. So, you see, with the first temptation, Yeshua's first temptation, there it's okay, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And you see the, what happened with Israel's journey that they got bread on the stones, on the ground. It just would show up in the morning with, with the dew, and it would be gone, kind of like the dew as it would melt. As the, evaporates, as the dew evaporates off the ground, so the manna would go. But it would be there six days a week. In Yeshua's life, he replied with, It is written that man will live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what you see there is the reminder in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that you are going to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So who are you going to trust when you don't have food and you're being led and you're saying, the Lord is leading you to the land of promise? So you're being led to the land of promise, but you're far away from where there was water before. You don't have food. You're thinking back to all of the wonderful experiences you had in the house of bondage back there in Egypt. Yes, that, that was wonderful. And how, how wonderful life was there. So much so that you were going to start a rebellion to then find leaders to go right back to that land again because things were more wonderful there. And, you know, you see that happens down through time is to the experience that you're heading into, what you see on the other end of it, can you actually keep a hold of that to keep a grasp upon that? You know, we've, we've gone through here July 4th time period where we celebrate each year in this particular country the Declaration of Independence, the signing of it. Well, those people had to have the vision on the other side of that because when they were putting ink to paper, <laughs> there was a, a part of the transcripts of that signing, you know, it said that nobody talked when they were going in to sign that because everybody knew what that signature on that paper meant. And there was the account of the one guy who came up who was a, probably my height, pretty short guy of the time period. So he goes up to sign, and there was one of the guys, the founders in the back, was like well over six, nearly seven feet tall. And he just booms out of me, a dead quiet room, and he's like, well, it's Good thing you're short. I guess you'll be uh, hanging by your neck longer than I will. I'm just going to go down, whoop, and it's going to be over quick because I'm a big guy. So they all knew what was waiting for them on the other side. But can you keep your vision on what that freedom was on the other side of that? 
So, uh, yes, Larry, go ahead, please. And you know the quote from Benjamin Franklin about that. <laughs> now we must either hang together or we'll all hang separate. That's right. That's right. So we need to hang together. Yeah. So with Yeshua's second temptation, as it's recorded there in the Word, the adversary says, is telling him to jump from the top of the Lord's house, or as it says, as it would be in Hebrew there, a kanaf, or a, a, um, an extension, a wing of the temple, to jump off from that and be saved, because thus, the, he, and he quotes a passage from the Psalms, that, hey, you know, he's not going to let your foot be crushed upon the walk, because his angels are going to lift you up. So, in a sense, what was the temptation on that? People have had lots of takes over the centuries on this, but one way you can look at this is about your reckless arrogance in God's presence, because what is God's house? That is supposed to be the representation, the memorial of the copy, the representation pattern of the presence of where the Lord is. So you're right where the Lord is, and then you're going to, you know, do cliff diving or temple diving off the side. And what? So he saves you? You're like right where he is. And you're going to go jumping off of it to get saved. You know, if you are the son of God, just dive right off the side of his uh, capital seat there on, on planet Earth. And then, you know, he'll, he'll save you. Well, you see some examples of that kind of reckless arrogance right in God's presence <laughs> where we read just uh, back in Numbers, Bimidbar, uh, chapter 14, verse 22, where it talks about, well, they tested me 10 times. And if you roll it back and you read back up into chapter 14 and into 13, and it starts detailing all of these times where the people had just completely um, been an extreme offense to the one who had taken them out to the house of bondage and sustained them through this. And if you think about the most egregious one of those is the golden calf, which we'll get to in just a moment. But among all of those, you have 10 times. Well, Yeshua's reply to this, it is written, that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that comes from, interestingly enough, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we saw in our last Torah portion, but the same passage area where you have the Shema. It's very interesting that when you're talking about, you know, love the Lord your God with all your, and it goes on and talking about, you put these words on your doorposts, you put them on your forehead, you put them on your hand, you know, you talk to your kids about them throughout the day, when you rise and when you go to bed. These words are with you all the time. And then it's like, well, do not put the Lord to, your, to the test. Because why? It's in a passage talking about keep the Lord in your mind and with all you do throughout all your life. So why do you need to keep testing him? These words are to be with you. And a part of those words are the promises and the recalling to mind of the account, the history of God's action in the world. So you have that there. The question is, do you believe it? Do you trust it? Do you trust these accounts? Do you trust these mentions in history? of what the Lord promises to do, what the Lord has done, what the Lord will do. Do you, do you trust that? Oh, yes, uh, yeah, Christine, go ahead, please. So isn't it also in this Torah portion, I, maybe I'm forgetting, about um, where Moses says to circumcise your heart? Was it I in remember that was okay. this one, or I think it was the last one, was now it? that I think about that, okay. yes. Thank but you. you're, you're going to encounter that a few times as we go through. It's one in, uh, trying to think of this. Yeah, in our last Torah portion, you're going to see it also in the last chapters of Deuteronomy as well. About uh, circumcising your heart. Yes. 
Yes. Forever. The circumcising the heart has been in God's mind for quite a long time. And it, it, is, it is interesting. You're starting to see it in some more commentaries. I shouldn't drug that up. I was looking at one the other day where I was talking about that in, in the prophets. And it just, to this particular commentator, it was like an aha moment. That's like, oh, it seems like that the prophets are talking about the Spirit of God getting involved with your Torah observance. It's like, okay. Yeah, maybe that was like the in, the whole point from the very beginning. Maybe. Good, good plan. So when we finish things out here with the third temptation, takes them up to a high place so we can see all the nations of the world. And he's like, I'm going to give them all to you if you'll do what? Bow down and worship. So... You're going to see all the nations of the world. So all you have to do is acknowledge that the adversary is the one who's superior. And then you'll get access to all of them. But what have you just done in this acknowledgement? What would heaven have done? I say, okay, well, we'll get access to them, but who's really in charge? The adversary is still in charge. Still got hold of the people's hearts. You know, we, we, we see you face a similar thing that goes on here today. It's like you've got people of God that, unless maybe they told you, you may not even know that they were people of God because their behavior, their talk, and everything else, their outlook, their worldview is identical to the world. So the world and the kingdom of the adversaries got their hands on them, and you just the kingdom of God just gets access to them. It's kind of like visitation rights. You, know, you, get, to, you get to visit the people of God every, every weekend, you know, maybe every other weekend, maybe one weekend a month, you know, maybe, maybe get a drop-in visit in the middle of the week or something like that. I mean, just think about that, that the people of God would kind of treat this as like visitation rights from the kingdom of God. So... Um, Thus, we say, well, that was the challenge to go up. But you see a very similar thing that Moshe, as the leader, he was taking it upon himself. And we saw in one of our last Torah portions where he was given the reason why, and he recounted why he was not going in, was because of what he did at the rock. And it was about what he said at the rock. And the key part of that was, you rebels, am I going to take you in? And then instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock. Now, the provision of the Lord did come forth. The water did come forth. But the one who summoned it did not go in. There was new, new leadership that was going to go in. So the response from Yeshua to this adversary's claim, it is written, you know, worship and serve God only. And you'll see that that is a really a quotations from not only just Deuteronomy chapter 6 and also chapter 20 of our passage here today, but it's really also from the first commandment that you see there in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Uh, yes, go ahead, please. I'm... Um uh, the the issue of the Moshe, you know, um, I think uh, what I got out of it when I was reading it is the power of intercession, mm. standing in the gap. Because yes. when um, Hashem decided that He's going to deal away, you know, do away with the people, He got in, you know, in between God and the people, mm -hmm. He interceded. But when the uh, Hashem, you know, declared a fight. On Moshe, nobody interceded for him. Mm. Nobody. Yeah. The Israelites, they didn't intercede for, for Moshe. But uh, I believe when in the Brit Hadashah, uh, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom mm. of God. Yeah. But we see in the mountain of transfiguration that Yeshua is the only one that can take us to the promised land. Mm. Because the flesh Moshe could not enter the promised land, but the spiritual Moshe entered the promised land. Because who was on the mountain of the transfiguration with, yeah. 
Yeshua is Moshe and Eliyahu. So, uh, you know, with the flesh is corrupt. And because nobody got in between God and Moshe to intercede, and this is why it's important when we see the, our leaders that, you know, we pray for them. We, we intercede for them because there is no, they also need prayer because in the account of Moshe intercession, the Israelites were allowed to enter the promised land. But nobody stood in the gap for him. So, mm. well, you know, when I saw that, I, you know, I, I mm. felt like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he certainly interceded for the people. Even to the point, like we saw at the mountain with the golden calf, it's like, hey, blot me out. If you're not going to go with us, yeah, blot me out of your book. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that you see in Israel as Israel's witness of worship God and serve God only. You see in the first three commandments, and we'll see these continue to get played out as we go into our next Torah portion, is with talking about making idols, worshiping idols, and also about how you are using images, and also about how you treat the Lord's name, the Lord's reputation. Are you dragging that down, making it low? making it of no effect yes making of low regard indeed so that's where we'll end things here today any last thoughts before we close out uh yes jared go ahead please so in um <clears throat> one of the uh passages that we read through the torah talks about and you will write these words on your heart and Kind of a sign in your hand and then between your eyes, and you will teach them to your children, your children's children. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that's um, a lot of people don't recognize when when we say the Shema. We all know the first, you know Deuteronomy six four, and then we just say Blessed is the name of His kingdom, and then we say the verse that comes right after, you know, five through a couple of verses afterwards. Um, a lot of people who don't really because i guess follow the the jewish culture the hebrew culture don't realize that whenever people sit whenever the jews say the shema they say the ve'ahavta the you shall love lord your god and then they say if you obey all my commandments and it's that and that's the part that we read here so the reason we say both of those is because the first part is you as an individual and this next part is the the english should really just be translated a y'all Y'all, y'all need to teach these. All y'all need to teach these to your children. All y'all need to teach, write them on your gates yes. and doorposts. So it talks. It's it's it talks about a community. So it so God always works on on two fronts all the time. It's always the individual and the community and the physical and the spiritual. That's I guess that's four. But anyway, um, so it's you know that whole thing about it takes a village to raise a child. God's kind of backing this up here. So it's. It's not just uh, you and your little family go sit over here. You and your little family go sit. It's y'all need to come together and y'all need to write these on your hands and on your eyes and on your gates and on your, on your towns. Yeah, indeed. So it's, um, you know, no man is an island unto himself. Yeah. Well, you see what happens, the opposite is a huge thing that's going on here today is where we have a huge challenge with the youth today because their community is spends a lot more time with them than we do their families do and you know look what happens you know the families if they're diligent get maybe a sliver of their time during the week versus their friends their teachers and everybody else that may be just pulling them off into a completely different land different way of thinking everything has them a whole lot longer so you know with the the old saying i know i heard it when i was growing up it's like you know show me your friends and i'll tell you who you are and i arrogantly thought that oh it didn't matter i could i could yeah. have my own little uh, spiritual firewall so i could just you know go into whatever group of people in the other but believe me they change you oh yes they do 
They change you. No matter how much you think that you have a firewall against somebody else's opinions, views, or this or that, the other, you'll notice if you pay attention, and especially if you've got people who care for you, and they notice and they let you know, hey, you've changed. Yeah, pay attention. Yes. Oh, yeah, Alex, go ahead. You know, I heard that uh, John Lennon song, Imagine, again. And it's a beautiful song, but it's a, I hate that word. Why can't we all just get along? Well, because we're human, and we need a little more than that. We can just forget religion and everything. We'll just, no. Some nutcase shot him dead, and that's what happened to him in the end. So I guess the message didn't get out so well. But, you know, we can't just sit here and get along. It's not going to work that way. Well... I mean, sadly, what you could say with that is the ultimate outwinding of a line of that. Imagine there is no God. Well, that isn't what happens in a world where there is no God. People just start going on and on, and we see that happening in families and in cities today where you have people that are just coming more and more and more unrestrained. They're just completely not restrained by anything anymore. And that is becoming a huge problem. I mean, it was like, you know, somebody was just pointing out this this very interesting, you know, now it's like the smash and grab TikTok videos are all the rage. Well, it was a very interesting one that happened in a uh, in in a bodega in in New York City recently, and they went in, uh, and this one guy is videoing it as the other guy is just going and just grabbing everything. And the guy with the video is like telling these, these shopkeepers, you can't do anything about it. Well, one of the shopkeepers, you know, took out a, like a broom handle and just started whacking on the guy. And both of them joined in. And, you know, so the guy's like cowering on the ground as they called the cops and just waiting for them to show up. Well, as this was happening, suddenly the guy was holding the, the, the camera, his tone changed. And he started cheering on the guys and saying, oh, yeah, you're going to get yours. Well... That just goes to show you, well, who is it who's actually in charge of society? When one person was thinking that the kingdom of evil is in charge, who are they cheering on? When you think the kingdom of God is in charge, who are you cheering on? But truly, in the end, what is actually going on inside of you? Because that is really determining when... You're in a situation where it has no benefit to you whatsoever. Who are you cheering on? And who are you encouraging? And who are you (laughs) literally willing to die for, lose your life, liberty, and sacred honor for? Who indeed? You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halel.info. Halel.info.